Today in the Attorney Career Advice Podcast with Harrison Barnes. Working with the government is awesome. Anybody that's laid off from a job, you just need to get yourself out there and work really hard. So you need to make sure that you study the practice area you want to do. Just because you're not fit for a big firm or a firm or whatever doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. All right, so let me go to the questions here. Give me one second. So I'm gonna. I, sometimes I like to go a little out of order with the questions, just because it's kind of fun. What are avenues available to someone with a law degree who's able to find employment or has no aptitude for entrepreneurship? There's lots of options available. You don't have to. If you're on, so this is another point I want to make to you and everyone on the call. The first thing is you can find employment. There's always jobs for attorneys. There's you just are not applying to enough places. And some great jobs, by the way, for attorneys, I think are with the government. It doesn't always have to be practicing law with the government, but you can certainly go far practicing law with the government or doing things with a law degree for the government. I just think that the government, there's all sorts of great positions there. There's a lot of stability. If you were interested in the law, the hours are good. You can make good money. There's good benefits and there's working with the government's awesome. And so I would recommend state or federal government as one, but that's just one kind of idea. But the And you don't have to have an aptitude for the entrepreneurship. You may just want to do a job for someone else, and that's fine. But you need to understand what you like. I would recommend on VCG, I don't know if you need to create an account to do it, but I would take what's called the DISC profile test just to understand where you're, and it's free. There's no no cost or anything, just to understand what what you're most suited for. The nice thing about that test on VCG, we're actually changing it. But if there's things about make you not a good attorney who's suited for it, it'll tell you. But uh, if you're unable to find employment, the first thing I would say is people learn a different strength or different. There's just, there could be things you're doing wrong in your interviews. There could be just better people out there. But why go into, if you're having all these problems finding employment, why that can be sometimes a sign, but it's also a bad economy. And so you need to keep that in mind. But I would, I think there's all sorts of things you can do don't have to be an entrepreneur. You might be a good salesperson. You might be good at teaching. You could teach in college or elementary school or high school or or community. There's all sorts of things you can do. So in a law degree is a good thing. None of this is negative. Just because you're not fit for a big firm or a firm or whatever doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It just means that you good for you. You went and got a degree. You learned how to be a better thinker. You have these skills and now go do something else. Who cares? Just because it's great. People get degrees all the time that they don't. Most people that study anthropology and don't become anthropologists and you can do a lot of good things. So I definitely would not say that there's anything wrong with, with your career choice at all and with not being able to get a job. And I would just experiment with different things and find what you like. I don't know. My, my dad used to say, I think he said, by the time you're, you're 40, you should know what you're doing. I would say because people live longer now, maybe it's 50, I don't know, but you should you can experiment with a lot of different professions. And one of the things that my my grandma told me when I was going to law school is I stopped by her house and I don't know, she gave me a check for $100 or something. It's funny, congratulating me for to using law school. She actually gave me more than that later, but at that day she did. And this when I was driving to law school and she said my dad went to, was a lawyer and he became a banker and his dad was a lawyer and he became, I don't know, something else. And so you don't need to be a lawyer with a law degree necessarily. So what alternative paths can a lawyer do to increase their earning potential and work-life balance? So work-life balance, unfortunately, if you're practicing law, you can uh, certainly get it in different government jobs and different types of places. Different jobs and in-house jobs will give you a work-life balance. You can always increase your working potential, your earning potential by becoming one type of, uh, by 
going into different practice areas and different settings, but or being an entrepreneur. I'm amazed. I'm amazed just at how well people can do. You can make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year working in an auto dealership selling cars. You can make a very good living being a real estate agent and one in the right market. And there's all sorts of things you can do. And those have can have good life balance. The problem with being uh, an attorney and having a work-life balance is it's like saying, I want work-life balance, but I want to be an on-call emergency room physician or something. Clients have problems all the time. And, and so you have to be able to respond. Now, there's certain practice areas where you can make a lot of money and do well and be successful without ha- with having work-life balance. But for the most part, if you're going to be an attorney, you're, you may have to step it up because you're working for others. And that's part of the problem. How can, let me, here's a longer question. Okay. Okay. This is a fun, I like these partner questions. So give me one second here. Thank you for whoever asked it. This is a good question. Okay, so I'm a partner in a tiny boutique firm that focuses only on real estate. We're doing reasonably well, which is good because now everything's very slow in real estate. I'm in an agent position where I can bring in larger matters in real estate that requires more partner-level manpower than my firm can supply and also bring in big real estate adjacent matters in order to grow. Would you recommend joining a bigger local firm? Yes, I would. I think you can definitely join a larger firm and you can probably get a job there. You can use a recruiter or you can you could probably get in there or you could network your way in. But yes, if that's the situation you're in, that's exactly why people like that move. People like you move is because they want to they want to get more experience. So you actually raise a really good question. And I think what is important for everyone on, the, on this call to understand is what this person basically is saying is they're saying they joined a, they're in a small firm where they became a partner. Okay. But the, the small firm and they do real estate, which is good. So the first thing about this, I want to make sure everyone understands is this person does one type of practice area, which is always very good. So that makes them marketable. The firm's doing well, but the person wants to bring in larger matters that requires more partner level manpower, meaning working on different aspects and, and then also bring in other types of cases of matters from their clients. So this person wants to move. This person is perfectly set up to move. So I just want to make sure everyone understands it doesn't matter where you start in the legal profession. You can start at a small firm. You don't have to get to work at a big firm. You start at a small firm many times and you take punches and you get knocked down in there, and then you get into a big firm and you have more confidence. And this person is perfectly positioned. I don't know about moving right now in real estate because it's not a good market, but if this is, but if it's doing well, that's awesome. So yes, this person could join a larger firm. Absolutely. Even, and, and that's a great reason to move. So you typically, when you're at a smaller firm, you move when you hit a ceiling because you have all this work that you can do and you can get more work and you can bring in bigger matters, but there's not enough partners that can do it, help you with the work or not enough associates or the firm doesn't have enough other practice groups. So this person's saying, I'm bringing in real estate. All we do is real estate, but we also could do corporate and litigation and all these other things. And if I had another firm, I'd be able to make more, bring in business to do that. And then I would have more clients. This person should absolutely move. This is the only, and again, I, on these calls every week, I talk about why you shouldn't move, but this is a person is perfectly positioned to move. And this is a, just a great question. And I think it's also inspiring. So if you're a corporate attorney and you come out of law school and you're like, Oh, I'm so sad. I'm making half of what I was going to make at a larger firm or what I would people, my classmates are making. Cause I went to a top 14 law school or whatever. And. I don't feel good about myself because my job's not good. Fine. Just do what this person did and just start do the best you can. And maybe you don't work in a big firm for 10 years, but then the other 40 years of your career, you do. 
Whereas most people that join big law firms out of, see what I like about this question, I just want to, this is actually a really cool question. So most people go try to go to the big leagues immediately, big leagues, ASAM, and then they stay there two to four years, two to five years, maybe two to five years. And then they're just like, done, done. That's what people want to do. They think that's the best thing. The smart path a lot of times is start small, get expertise, build clients, get expertise plus confidence, build clients, then move when ready. So if you move at 35, so you can, you have two choices. You can quit when you're 27, 20, 27 to 30, or, and then go in house or whatever. This is what people do, go in house, et cetera. Or you can do what this person's doing. And who knows how experienced this person is, say 32, and then go in the big leagues or bigger leagues and just keep moving up. And then guess what? People practice in their 80s now, so they'll probably be practicing to their 90s and stay there, stay there 60 years. What do you think smarter? It's funny when what they do with box, what they do. I love these Rocky movies and Rocky 2, Mr. Sloan. I don't know. He, after, before fighting, a, I, they, or maybe a Rocky 3 or something, when he, after he finally beat Apollo Creed, they had him boxing a long time and just where he was beating everyone in these fights and because they were not putting him against the best players. And so this person started a smaller firm and now this person's going to be able to go into the big leagues. Now, maybe not the biggest leagues, but, but if they do really well where they're at, then they're going to go there eventually. So this was a great question. And I hope everyone can see the benefits of is, yeah, so this is it's a very good question. So this person, let me just see here, asked a follow-up. What's going to profit? They seem like they're designed to find the other person. Fine. That's fine. Then find another firm. You don't have to go to that one. You can also negotiate your salary. So the nice thing about being a partner, it's funny when is that you have the ability to negotiate your salary when you're going. I, I had a funny thing happen once with a, a it was a big Detroit firm that was trying to hire someone in Los Angeles, and they really wanted this guy. And they offered him the, their average partner, profitable partner in Detroit, or maybe at the time like eight hundred thousand or something. And, and they offered this guy, I don't know, like one point four million or something ridiculous. He's like, "How can you possibly do that? What are all the par- other partners going to think? I know what the com-. and the firm responded, "We don't care about them. We just we really need you because of whatever, and when you have to keep it." So the point is that firms will a lot of times do that. Sometimes they may fund the older partner's retirement. What happens when that happens in a law firm is they, a lot of times the younger partners will get together and leave. I'm not telling you to join a firm where you can leave or kick the older, younger, older partners out, which is very common. And that's the nice thing about capitalist societies. There's always a way around all this stuff. And that's typically what happens, something like that. If that's your concern, you either join another firm or you join that firm and at some point that's going to be unsustainable and that won't last. That that's that type of compensation, by the way, is called lockstep. What used to happen in, in law firms, and it still happens in a lot of them, but especially it was very common is that the junior partners would always make the lowest salary. And as you got more senior towards the end of your career, your compensation would just keep increasing. It would happen regardless of whether or not you had business. It was called lockstep compensation. Uh, and and then that would be funding a retirement of partners and things towards the end of their career. Does that happen anymore? Sure, there's certainly some firms that still do it, but it's very difficult to beat there. Let me see. Okay, so this question, okay, will the departure of many major law schools, including mine from the U.S. News and World Report rankings, affect placement? No. So most of the rankings of law schools are based on 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 reputation anyway. So they that And that's part of the problem is what happens is they – Every year they say they ask law school deans and judges and things, who do you think the most prestigious 10 law schools are? And they always name the same ones. So I, that's not going to change very much. The, from what I'm reading, and most of these 
Law schools that are leaving the rankings are doing so because there are a lot of historic problems with the country and the way and leftover problems that are affecting things and diversity and things. And so the law firms, the law schools want to have a lot, be able to admit much more diverse classes than they're able to under the ranking systems. And, and so they're going to, and so that's, these are all, it's not my role to judge them. They're, they're, from a societal standpoint, this kind of thing has happened and happened in India and it's, and it's trying to address things. And so I don't think that if that's your question related to that, I don't think that's going to affect anything. But looking to rebound from a layoff in terms of the law school rankings, I don't think that's going to affect anything. I think the only way, by the way, if you're laid off, I just want to be very clear with everyone, just so you understand what do you do if you're laid off. What you do if you're laid off is you work harder than anyone you possibly out there to get a big job. You don't, this person before us that asked this question started out at a small firm. They don't care. And, and now they're ready to move to a big one. You move to a small firm. Who cares? Your job is to get training. You don't care. You just, you're getting paid as a, see, you don't go to law school and take your first job to get a job. That's a dumb way of thinking about it. And I'm sorry to say that because I know that's how everyone thinks. I'm not calling you dumb, but I'm telling you when I say dumb, it's a dumb way to think about your future. The way to think about your future is to think that getting trained is the most valuable thing. Why would you sit around waiting for more money so you can not get trained? And you just want to get a firm that's going to train you right away. So that may mean moving to a smaller market. It may mean all sorts of things. I've told this story before. I'm going to tell it again on this call. I had a a woman that was at a big firm in San Francisco and her husband or boyfriend or something either committed suicide or got sick and died. I don't remember which one it was, but, and she wanted to, and, and then she took too much time off and the firm eventually let her go for whatever reason. She came to me and she said, what can I do? I was like, you're not going to get hired in San Francisco because you've been, it doesn't look good, but let's look all the country. She got 13 or 14 offers, and, and but they were in small towns and things like outside of Finley, Ohio, or places like that. Who cares? People are perfectly willing to train her. And the same thing with you. I've had candidates that have been blackballed in Atlanta or in different cities. And, and who cares? You just pick yourself up and just keep looking. So you need, but you need to look at a lot of places. I certainly could do that for you, but I don't need to. I would prefer you do it on your own, but you need to find every, and again, I'm a recruiter saying, and when I say I prefer you do it on your own, I'm not saying that I don't want to help you, but I'm just saying that anybody that's laid off from a job, you just need to get yourself out there and work really hard and pound sand to, to find a job. And that means picking up the phone and calling people and doing whatever you can because you're a lawyer you're representing yourself. You can't you can't be a victim. Like you have a choice of being a victim or a or an advocate for yourself. Why be a victim? So people like to be victims. That's not productive. Do you know the secrets to getting your dream legal job? We do. And one of the best things you can do is apply to jobs that fly under the radar. Applying to openings with very little competition means you stand a much higher chance of getting hired. But how do you find openings like that? For starters, you're not going to find them on major job boards because these jobs are usually only advertised on companies' websites and in small regional publications. That is why we created Law Crossing, the most comprehensive database of legal jobs in the world. We have a team of people constantly working to find every single legal job out there. Unlike other job boards, which only lists jobs that companies pay to post, we include every legal job we can find in order to maximize your chances of finding a job. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to www.lawcrossing.com to find your dream legal job today. 
what's productive about that? And again, what I don't like about what you're saying here, and I, and again, I'm not trying to be rude, but what I don't like about what you're saying is you're saying your, your value as an attorney is where you went to law school. That is absolutely false. Your value as an attorney is your ability to advocate for your clients and yourself. That's your value, not where you went to law school. Where you went to law school, it just says, it used to say you did well in the LSAT. Maybe it doesn't say that anymore. Then it, now it says you did well and you did well in school. And it says that you, and so that's all it is. So who cares? There's a secret too. I was, I had this, I shouldn't even tell you the story, but I was talking to these people in admissions for top law school, but it doesn't matter. But did you know that the way the law schools inflate their grades, some schools, some colleges have a 4.25 grade point average and others have a 4.0. So what do they do? I hate to, I shouldn't even say this because it's a, it's the dirtiest secret in the law school admissions thing. They take your odds. They want to take people with these 4.25. So you go to some school and major in fashion and get a 4.25 and get into a top law school. It's very funny. Colleges are either 4.25 or 4.0, and your odds of getting into a better law school if you get grades in a dumb subject matter are much better if you go to one of those schools. I shouldn't even say that, but it's true because they, the, they're basically, I don't know how it works, but they can help you. And again, don't quote me on that. I'm not an expert on law school admissions, but that's what I was told indirectly in me. But anyway, so the, but you shouldn't be defining yourself based on where you went to law school. Okay. Here's a great question. I love this question. What is the best practice area for an attorney to specialize in looking to start their own solo firm? Great question, by the way. Thank you for whoever asked that because this is going to help a lot of people. Okay. So you have basically, you have two types of things. You're either a transactional attorney or you're a litigation type attorney. And, and again, I think it's important to understand the differences, why one person is one and one's the other. So transactional basically means that things like math and science excite you. And that's, or that's what you gravitate towards. That's what you do best at. A, a litigation type attorney is someone that who is going to, is someone that's probably more excited by things like history and English and those sorts of disciplines. And so I can't tell you which one you are, but if you're looking to start your own firm, my advice would be the only way you're going to get clients, you're not going to be able to start your own firm doing commercial litigation and expect to get large companies coming to you for help. That's a dead end, man. That's a dumb thing. So if you're litigation, you do things like family law, you do injury, you do what else? You get the idea. Family law, personal injury, things like that. If you want to do transactional, you can do things like trust in the states. What else? Immigration can be litigation, but it's also transactional in nature because it's just a lot of forms and things. But these family personal injury, you can do, maybe you can do bankruptcy, things like that. Now, what would I do if I was you? I don't know, but I'm a litigator. I would, I can't believe how successful you can be being a family law attorney. Like these family law attorneys bill out just as much money as large law firm attorneys do, many of them. And I may do so listening to people complain about their problems. These problems can be as simple as my spouse called me a doo-doo. I don't know, but it's, uh, these are, these are not the most, but there's some bad things that happen in, in family law, obviously, but oh, criminals, another one. These are some of the practice areas you can do. And you can, most people, by the way, that go into start their own solo, you could also do tax resolution. There's a bunch of them, which is a mix, but I, you can go and see all the different criminal, but the ones it's up to you, which one you want to do and how much money you want to make and how confident you feel in it. But 
I see people doing these all the time as uh, solos. And, and if you like the practice area and you're enthusiastic about it, you can do very well. Uh, so I really do recommend that if you want. And there's other types of litigation too, but that's, those are some kind of examples of that. So if I cannot find a job as my own, oh, this is another good question. Thank you. These are great. If I cannot find a job as an attorney, what are the benefits and risks of starting my own law firm? Okay. So I want to be very clear again, everyone can find a job as an attorney. That is absolutely insane to say you can't find a job as an attorney. In the BCG database which are not every firm in the country. It's only the firms that will pay me to hire you are some 35,000 law firms, meaning that's how many firms that, that if you come to BCG that we can market you to. And these are firms that will pay us, meaning not every law firm has money sitting around to pay recruiter fees. So 35,000 law firms. Now, I like to use the number 25,000 because out of those, there's 10,000 that iffy for, it doesn't matter, but let's choose the number 25,000 just to be safe. So 25,000 law firms, that's an incredible number of law firms. Just in LA, there's four or 5,000 of these. Like, what the heck? Like, you can't get a job? Like, no, that you are, uh, no, you, of course you can get a job. There's so many jobs out there and so many places that will hire you that you're just not even, no one that's having these problems is thinking straight. So when I was in law school, it was pretty funny. There was this thing called the NALP guide and the NALP guide had, you know, a bunch of firms in each city and, but everyone would just apply to those firms. And these were the firms that paid the most and firms would pay themselves a list there. And there were maybe in LA, maybe back then 80 firms, but in LA back then, or maybe 60, these are the only firms that people would apply to. But instead of those 60 firms, was really at the time there was maybe 3000 firms. So most people that are doing their job searches are only applying to a small section of the firms that, that they can work at. If you're applying from directories, most firms have to pay to list themselves in directories. So they're not going to be in directories. You can find them by searching Google. You can find there's towns, there's so many freaking jobs out there. The only thing that's limiting you is your ability to search for them. So I don't like people saying they can't get a job as an attorney because every single attorney out there, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're, wow. So I'm in LA, like big market, but what if you want to work in Sacramento or Fresno or Bakersfield? There's so many towns in California. Anybody can find a job. So no, you can find a job. Now, what are the benefits and risks of starting your own firm? The risks are that if you don't know how to run a business, that you will fail. So how do you start your own firm? You investigate it. So before any business, most people start a business, they will go out and study whatever the type of business they're interested in. So when I was thinking about opening my own practice, I bought books about tax resolution. I bought books about personal injury. I bought books about uh, trust and estates. I bought books about every single practice area. And I studied every single practice area I could possibly. And I studied it from the perspective of starting your own firm. So there are, there are online companies that will teach you how to be about personal injury law. There, there's, there are coaching groups about for different. You need to go out and you need to study this stuff. You can't just open your own firm and expect people to come to you if you don't know anything. You need to go and learn from other people. Just like you're smart enough to be on this, there's companies that will teach you how to do a different practice areas that you should study. That's what I did. That's what anybody should do. But you need to have something. If you start your own practice too, your own firm, the only other thing I'd recommend is you need to have a, some sort of focus. So it's either you don't say I'm going to be, I'm a family personal injury criminal attorney. No, you say I'm a family law attorney or I'm a personal injury, I'm a criminal attorney that you say you're one or the other, but that's really the best way of doing it. So that's what I would recommend is you need to make sure that you study the practice area you want to do. 
Do you want to take back control of your legal career? We have a solution for you. Harrison Barnes, the number one legal recruiter with over 20 years of experience, hosts weekly webinars followed by live Q&A sessions every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. These webinars are packed with helpful information that you can use to advance your legal career. Best of all, after each webinar, Harrison stays for as long as needed in order to answer every question. Okay, so this person asked a question. Their name showed up. And this is David's question. I'm not going to use your last name. Okay, so this was, what job search advice would you offer? A corporate transaction training with non-traditional background that includes entrepreneur pursuits and business consulting. I would recommend that you become a venture capitalist or a private equity person, which is a fun thing for attorneys, private equity. Lots of attorneys go into that and become very successful with your type of background. And then I, that's what I would think about. Uh, something along those lines, I think you'd probably do really very well at that just because this is the kind of work that we're good at. You have the ability to study companies and do things. And then, and you've also done entrepreneurial business consulting, private equity, venture capital can be very good pursuits for people with your background. So thank you for that question. Okay. So this particular question is another good one. Thank you for these awesome questions everyone is asking them. Give me one second. What are the thoughts about how to balance drive for entrepreneurship and the urge to keep getting a paycheck for practicing law? Yes. But if, if you're not happy practicing law, and then what's the sense of continuing to do it? What I would recommend is I would just recommend if you really are entrepreneurial, just spend your free time investigating the types of entrepreneurial work you'd rather do. And then if you, and studying that, and at some point, the urge is going to hit you to leave and do it. Study it. And the more you study it, you will find a way to leave or the universe will set something in motion for you. So that's what I would do. It's, it's like being in a bad relationship. Like at some point, it just gets too much and you end up leaving. And that's the way I would handle that. Yes. Yeah, so your question, someone just asked that question. Yeah. I, everybody, oh, by the way, somebody said something about anonymous question. Every question here is anonymous. I wouldn't use your name if it was a uncommon name. Um, I think it's funny too, by the way, lawyers, it's a strange profession because everyone's like very nervous about their knowing this one. So I never want to use people's names and, and it's fine. It's just, yeah, because you have to keep your problems backed up inside. It was funny. Someone that just asked not to use your name and I just wanted to give this example real quickly is, and I'm actually going to ask another one. Is it okay to tell other attorneys in my firm Problems include, could include substance abuse. It could include, I don't know, getting into a speeding ticket. Who knows? Is it, but a personal problem, is it okay to tell other attorneys? Well, the idea is so, and this is attorneys are very protective of themselves. And, and the answer to that is many, and I hate to say it, this is the only profession where I would, but the answer generally is you have to be very careful. So almost no, it's not okay to tell a lot of attorneys in your office about your personal problems because. If you tell people about your personal problems, anything you tell someone else, they will often use against you. And and I hate to say it because they'll brand you as uh, this or they'll brand you as that, or and you don't want that. And then that can hurt your career prospects. And almost the bigger the firm, the more more careful you have to be. Now, is that like that at all firms? No, of course not. Some firms, but it's not okay. So you have to be very careful. And I don't like saying that. So that's, I just, I don't like that. And I think that's wrong. That it has to be that way. But that's how the profession is. You have to be very careful about telling other attorneys in the firm about your personal problems. Because if you do, it will. no one's going to keep your confidence. You just cannot rely on it. 
even if they do keep her confidence, there's ways for them to tell other people. I was at this firm once and, and, and friends with partners there, and they would always tell me about other partners, but they would be indirectly about it. They would be you know, like this one partner was sleeping with another associate and they'd say, I hope he's closing the door and he's working there after. I mean, it's, they wouldn't say exactly what was going on, but everyone knew. And so they, just you have to be very careful about in sharing any of your personal issues because it'll always be used against you and, and it shapes your brand and the way people think about you. And it's unfortunate because people will not be human, and, but you have to be careful. Okay. And again, your personal problems, there's nothing wrong with getting sick. Everyone gets sick. Everyone has deaths in the family and divorces. And so these are things you can talk about, but but you have to be very careful about things that could weaken you in the eyes of others. So you, you want to be human, but you have to be very careful. How do you explain why you left your job to get an advanced degree at LLM and went back to school? So there's absolutely nothing wrong with getting an LLM in, in your... So if you're a health law attorney and you want to get more health law experience, if you want to get more experience in something, you get more training. If you're a tax law attorney, there's nothing wrong with getting an LLM going back to school. Law firms will expect respect it. I've seen people... There's some LLMs that for whatever reason are... Again, I shouldn't say for whatever reason, but... There's some LLMs that seem to get a lot of respect in the market. Some of them, if you're if you're doing it at the right time. So if you're like an ERISA employee benefits attorney and you want to get an LLM in that, that's a good one. Tax is a good one. Sometimes things like health law, even education can be really good. There's just a bunch of things where you can get extra education that makes you a better attorney. And there's some that are blow off LLMs. It's just like anything. You have to be careful with an LLM, but I think it's a, it's a positive thing. And yeah, and this person is just saying, I left during COVID to go back to school and took some time off. Yeah, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly okay. Let me, I think there's one more question I can answer here. Someone's asking about being a recruiter. Yeah, I mean, you can, I think there's there's places to apply on our, our website to be a recruiter. Typically, I, one of the things I'd recommend to this is I said it earlier, someone's asking about being a recruiter, where would you apply? I think you can apply on our website or just email us and with your resume, we'll always put it in. But the thing about recruiting or entrepreneurship and all these things, someone's asking, how do I tell if I should do it? I would really recommend these personality profile tests. You can take a free one on BCG, but then this disc profile, but there's other tests that will tell you your aptitude and things. And the way they create these tests is they just, they'll find someone that's just a really great entrepreneur or whatever, a really great attorney, and they'll test them. And then there's just different personality types. So I would recommend really taking one of those tests to make sure to see what your experience is. Okay, so here's another good question. And I think this is probably the last one. I'll check to see if there's any other ones. Can experience gain through traditional law practice provide an advantage from transition? Yes, of course. So it, it can being an attorney and traditional law practice is great for entrepreneurship. It's just there's aspects of, that make a traditional attorney, an attorney, a bad entrepreneur. The thinking process that an attorney gets becoming an attorney is awesome. Like you learn to critique arguments. You learn to separate fact from fiction. You learn to cut through nonsense and get to the heart of a matter. All these sorts of things you learn to argue. You learn to stick up for yourself. You learn not to be a million different. You look, learn to write. You, wow. Like, you, of course, being an attorney is incredible. Like, and you learn to document transactions and a lot of real. So you learn a lot of things that are good for entrepreneurship. Of course, these are all great things. It's just, you know, what motivates your heart? Like, where is your, where's your heart at when you're, tr- when you're trying to become an attorney? Where are you coming from? And, and that I think is the most important. Is your heart really in what you're trying to do? Okay. Thanks for all the questions. I uh, really did appreciate it. I think this is an important topic and I hope if this has been helpful for you, you can always refer back to it later in your career. If this is something that you're interested in knowing more about. And I feel blessed to have given you this webinar because I think that this is a subject matter that, that I've lived through. So I've been an entrepreneur. I 
practice law, then I became an entrepreneur again, and now I'm talking to attorneys. So I think that the knowledge that I have hopefully is helpful for you. And again, I appreciate you very much being here. That's all the time we have for this edition of the show. If you are an attorney looking for a change, head on to bcgsearch.com. 